Great to see you guys. My name's Britt, if you're new here. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, boy, I just really appreciate all the Sunridge people that showed up on a weekend where it's kind of like a throwaway, like I said in my email. And uh, if you're a guest here today, you, you came on a special day because I'm talking to the church and I asked our regular Sunridge people not to invite any of their friends. So if, if this is your first time at Sunridge, you don't have to leave. You can stay. But uh, I just wanted to be able to talk straight uh, to the people that call Sunridge home today. I want to point out that on your seat is this little survey. Uh, it has to do with a series coming up. I'm going to tell you about it. But like, what I would love for you to do is to help us out, to tell us where you are. It's anonymous. We won't check your handwriting. Um, but just... Answer these questions for us and put these in the, in the give boxes when you leave today so that um, we can kind of get a feel of where Sunridge is in the upcoming series. And also, it'll help us address some specific questions. Uh, I'm so stoked about our 2020 lineup. In February, uh, we're going to launch a study of uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians. It is such a great letter and so applicable to uh, our day and time and what it, what it means to live a Christ-centered life, not just like in theory. I mean, Paul always starts his letters with uh, the philosophy behind it and things we stand on, the truths, but then he gets super practical and, and how to live our daily lives and how to, what it means to have a Christ-centered family, to be Christ-centered in the way we work. And so I'm really stoked about that. But in January, we're going to do this series called Money Myths, which this is what the survey is about. And um, we're going to talk about four myths that people have about money. Uh, next week, <clears throat> uh, my title is uh, Money Can't Make You Happy. Oh, yes, it can. That's a myth. And uh, so you come back next week and you see if, uh, if what I say isn't true uh, according to the Scripture. And then the Sunday after that, uh, the myth we're going to destroy is... The worst day fishing is better than the best day at work. And that message is all about vocation and, and how we look at uh, what God has given us to do, whether we're paid or not, whether we do it outside the home or inside the home. And then uh, week three of the series, an unprecedented moment at Sunridge, Pastor Bob Santee, our, our, our executive pastor over business and finance, he's going to speak on Sunday morning. So you got to be here for that. He's super nervous, but he's dialed, and um, uh, the topic I've given him is this, uh, this myth, it's only 12 easy payments. <laughs> so you know what Bob's going to talk about, and he's going to be an expert on that. So I hope that you're here, and uh, you support Brother Bob, uh, and pray for him, you know, I think he's, his stomach is hurting all the time already. And uh, then the last uh, of the myths that we're going to talk about is money, uh, in money we can trust. And we're going to talk about the heart issues. So here's the guarantee that makes this series unique. Um, we are not going to talk about giving in the entire series. It's not because we're against giving. Obviously, we're not. It's not because we're embarrassed to talk about giving. But I believe, it's been my experience over the years as a pastor and as a, as a Christ follower, that the issues of giving whether or not we give, like, it's much bigger than that. Our, our issues today in the American church are much bigger than whether we give or not. In fact, for some of you, to talk about giving right now would be irresponsible. And so I want to get that off the table so that we can talk 
uh, eye to eye about some of the core values that the Bible brings forth about money. So um, we're not going to talk about giving the entire series. And I hope that helps you relax. It helps me relax. And it won't feel as much often like I know um, for some parishioners, it feels that, you know, there's a, here's a point, here's a point, but the right hook, give to the church, is always coming. And uh, we've talked a lot about giving this year, uh, so I don't feel the need to talk about it. We're going to talk about other things that are core issues, I think. So that's where we're headed. I hope you're stoked about it. I hope you'll be here next week. But today, what I asked you guys to do to be here is um, I wanted to have a conversation with Sunridge people. And uh, this is sort of me having a one-on-one conversation with 400 people all at once. Some of you I've had coffee with, and we get to talk, and I love that. I love getting out. It's getting harder and harder, even in a medium-sized church, for me to get out and talk to people that aren't in my circle. But I still love doing it. Um, But if I could talk to you uh, over the years, often, this would be a thing that would be on my heart. It'd be something that if you said to me, like, you know, what, what's going on with Sunridge? What's going on in ministry? Da, da, da. It's like, this would be a thing that's a recurring thing. And uh, the topic I want to talk to you about is pioneers and settlers. And the, the, I'm using that as an illustration. So if you think about the way this continent was settled, what I, what I want to do is remove from our minds the, the horrific things that were... Um, imposed upon the, the indigenous people of this continent. It's like, that's not what I'm trying to address today, and I'm no way, you know, you know, saying that that was a good thing or a bad thing. I just want to use this concept as uh, an illustration. Because if you think about the way this continent was settled, there were explorers, right? And they, they went out exploring, and they found great spots, and then, then someone came behind them and built a fort, And uh, once that fort was built, oftentimes that fort became a settlement or a community. And then even after that, many of those settlements or communities became cities, and they still exist today. And in order for that to occur, it took two kinds of people. It took pioneers and settlers. Now, I want to give a shout-out to Megan, our slide person, because she found me the Disney version of a pioneer. If you haven't been watching the Disney Channel or you're not old as me and you can remember this, that's Fess Parker. And he is both Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone. So how about that? Boom! You know, talk about a pioneer. And then, of course, there's a, a fort and settlement in the other picture. I don't know which one you're already identifying with. But it took both pioneers and settlers to settle this country. See, the pioneers went out. And they said, like, what, what's out there? Let's go there. Let's go, let's go see what's over on the other side of that mountain. I just need a few things, and I'll take these with me, and I'm willing to go. And as they found places that were kind of ideal, that they thought people could make a life here, settlers came behind them. They brought necessities and supplies, and they established commerce. And what they built was like places that were sustainable for other people and places that the pioneers could always return to for what they needed. 
It took both. If the country, if, if what showed up on the East Coast one day was only pioneers, there would be a lot of fun and a lot of adventure and there would be no settlements. The country would have never been settled. And if only what showed up on the East Coast were settlers, we'd all be crammed in New England still, you know, piled on top of each other. So it takes both. And in any mission-centered organization, you have these two types of people. You have pioneers and you have settlers. You probably have them in your business. You have, you have them in any organization that you're a part of. You have people that kind of go out and make change and the people that support those changes. And churches are no different. Churches have both settlers and pioneers. In fact, on your note sheet, and I'm going to put up on the screen too, I want you to take a little quiz. I know you're checking a lot of boxes today, but hang with me here, okay? You know, there's a, there's a big difference between these people between pioneers and settlers. Like a pioneer in a church is always thinking about evangelism. These are missions people. They're thinking about, like, how come that baptismal pool has not stirred in a while? Where are the new baby Christians at Sunridge? Where are we going into the community and sharing faith or living out our faith? That's what a pioneer thinks about. But a settler thinks discipleship. Seller thinks about like growing people up in the faith, that they can't stay a baby. They, they need some information. They need some support. They need some people around them. Pioneers think about Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings need to be relatable because in their mind, they have friends that they're inviting to their church. And they're, they're like, ah, whatever you do, don't talk about money, Britt. Talk about something that applies to life today. Make it relatable because they, they desperately need to reconnect and go out into the world and, and live out practically, uh, in practical ways, the gospel. But then settlers think, you know, Sundays need to be deep. In fact, it, like, the longer you're a settler and you get established, it's like you don't even need it to be relatable. It's like the, the, the thrill for you is something new that you learned about God, and that's fantastic. You know, it doesn't even connect. It doesn't need to connect to Monday. It's just like, that is such an amazing thought about God. It can be all internal for you. You know, I realize that those two words, relatable and deep, are like personally defined, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, pioneers say, let's explore new territory. Let's, let's do something different. What's out there that we could do? What's the, what's the new thing that we can tackle? And then settlers say, well, we got to make the fort stronger first. We're not ready to go out. And we need to make this wall a little bigger. We need a little more commerce here. We need a little more food established. Pioneers look to the future. In fact, in a pioneer's mind, the, the most pioneery person, they think the best church is yet to come. They're always thinking, like, a few more changes, the church will be amazing. But a settler thinks about the traditions and maintaining them. And their perspective is entirely different. They think the best church ever was 20 years ago that they were a part of. So we're just, it's not saying one is right, one is wrong. It's just, it's different. We have a different way of looking things. Pioneers say, let's reach out. If you have a pioneer in your home group, they're always inviting new people to your group. 
And they're always like bringing people in. And, and if you're a settler, you're going, no, no, let's grow closer. It's like the mix isn't right. When you brought that person in, they don't fit, you know. They... And so we're like, we just, it's going gonna, it's gonna to interrupt our intimacy as believers together. And pioneers are always saying, what can we change? And of course, the settlers are saying, why change? Right? It's great the way it is. It's fun to consider people that you know in the Bible, whether they're a pioneer or a settler. Like you know that Abraham and Moses were both great leaders of the early uh, nation of Israel, right? But when you read the Bible, don't, doesn't Abraham seem much more inclined to go to the places and, to go, and go through change? God says to him, I want you to leave where you are and go to a place I will show you. And Abraham goes. He's kind of eager to take on the new thing. And yet Moses has to be cajoled and, and convinced and his confidence built up. You know, well, it's like he has all these excuses. And yet both were leaders. But their approach to that leadership was wired in a different way. I think about Peter and Paul in the New Testament. You know, you th- at first glance, you'd think Peter was um, like a pioneer. No, he's just loud. <laughs> Peter was very traditional. He didn't want things to change. And then when the Apostle Paul comes along, a guy who is raised in all this tradition, um, he's the pioneer. He's, he wants to go where Christ is not named. Peter, Peter is given a dream by God that things need to change. And even with that dream, he's still reluctant. It's like, no, no, you can't change the dietary laws. And Paul is like, hey, you know, we don't need all these rules. How about we just pare it down to four? And I'll go to where Christ isn't named. He's a pioneer. And then think about Mary and Martha. Most of you have been Christians a while. You know that story where Jesus is in their home. Like, who's the pioneer and who's the settler? To me, Martha's the settler. Because she's thinking of all the things that need to go on to, to just hold this event. And you think, you know, in, in one way you think Mary would be um, you know, a, a settler because she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. But in that context, she's a real pioneer because she's breaking all the cultural rules. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning as a disciple with a bunch of men. So she's kind of a pioneer. They come in different shapes and sizes. Which are you? As we've talked about, you know, some of the stuff on the chart or even some of the Bible characters... Look on your notes, and right now, just fill in that sentence. I am mostly a what? Are you a pioneer or a settler? By the way, I've described it. Mostly a pioneer or a settler. How many of you say, I'm mostly a settler? Raise your hands. How many of you say, I'm mostly a pioneer? How many of you aren't voting? So the question is, with these different wirings, how does this all work, given that God has given the church one mission? Here here at Sundridge, we say that we're here to help people find and follow Jesus. Can you not see the pioneer and settler uh, perspective even in our mission statement? I mean, in the end, doesn't the church need to do all these things? Doesn't the church need to be a place where we teach the truth in an uncompromising way and indeed talk about the deep things of God in the appropriate contexts? 
And yet, isn't it true that as we, as we teach the Bible, that it should connect to life? So all of Paul's letters end with very practical applications of what he's just taught in half the book. And the rest of of his letter is just practical applications. It needs to be comprehensible, of course. Isn't it true that churches need stability and sustainability, yet they also need to change and try new things and move forward? And isn't it true that all of us, if we're Christians, we need fellowship. We need connection with one another and to build relationships. We need to be known and know others. But isn't it also true that we're called to reach out beyond our comfort zone to others? See, I think that God uses all of us, whether we're a pioneer or settler, to accomplish his mission. And if if you remember nothing else, Remember this from me as one of the pastors here at Sunridge. That whether you're more of a pioneer or a settler, we need you. Whether you're a pioneer or a settler, we need you. Every vibrant and healthy church is comprised of both pioneers and settlers. Now, for my time remaining, what I want to do is I want to look at some passages in the Bible that I think reflect this idea of pioneer and settler. Then I want to make a few observations, and then I just want to wrap up with a couple of action points for you, Sunridge. So let's jump in to some pioneers and settlers in the Bible. First of all, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 7, he talks about how each one of us has been given grace as Christ apportioned it. So already Paul is saying, you know, there's a, there's a different thing that each of us has been given. And then he identifies some of the, some of the gifted people that, Paul, that God has given to the church. He said, it was he, that is uh, Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. An apostle, if you don't know, is a sent one, someone who goes out. So would you say an apostle is a pioneer or a settler? A pioneer, so would I. Um, a prophet. A prophet is like this person that's confrontational. Things are black and white to them, and in their heart, it's like they want to they keep the church pure, and they speak truth directly, and they don't package it very nicely all the time. And what a prophet says usually tends to thin the crowd and purify the church. So would you say a prophet is a pioneer or a settler? Settler, that's what I would say too. And then an evangelist, do we have to talk about that? That's outreach. So is that a pioneer or settler? All right, so we're all on the same page. And then pastors and teachers, although they come in different kind of packages, really in the end, a pastor-teacher is there to build up the church, right? So most pastor-teachers are settlers. Paul says here that there are different roles in the church, and they are intent, in, intentionally assigned by God. Do you see pioneers and settlers in this? I do. But he goes on in verse 12 to talk about the purpose that pioneers and settlers serve. They, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Till we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Summarize what Paul says is that these different roles 
whether pioneer or settler, they are all given for the maturing process of the church. Every, but you, not just settlers. Pioneers are part of the maturing process. And if we didn't have this mixture, if we didn't have both pioneers and settlers in our church, then if I understand what Paul is saying here is, it's likely that the church will not be built up. Even Paul depended on this kind of teamwork, and he gives personal testimony of this same thought process in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6. He says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The person who plants and the purpose who waters have one purpose. And each will be rewarded according to their own labor, for we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. Then he goes on in verse 10, he says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. Do you see pioneer and settler in that? But each one should be careful how he builds. Paul says here that there are different roles, again, intentionally assigned by God, but he takes it a step further. He, he names names. He, put, he puts faces to these different roles. There's Paul and there's Apollos. And yet he says, in it all, God is the one who does the work. It is God's team. The team is his, and the work is his. It all belongs to God. And then he ends this section with, with a caution and an encouragement when he says, be careful how you build. Each one of us should be careful how we build. Now, I just want, like as a side note, I want to point out that Paul does not contrast builders versus observers. If you're a Christian, you're on the team. There's no observers. And there's not a role for critiquer either. There's only builders. And we all have a role. Now let me just make a few observations from, from this. First of all, I've kind of said it already, but uh, God designed different roles in the church. You've seen that. People are diverse. God has gifted us differently. And it's him God has gifted you. He has gifted me. And God has placed these different gifted people in the church, all with a different wiring. In Romans 12, 6, he puts it this way. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. We're just different. One isn't better than the other. We're different. And it's designed that way. In fact, just look at the person next to you right now and say, you're different. Yeah, some of you said it with the same inflection, so we do offer uh, marriage counseling through our counseling team. You know what? We should say that a lot more often to one another, but not in jest. You're different. And God designed it like that. Because the church is not monochromatic. The church is in vivid technicolor. All of us are different. And healthy churches have both pioneers and settlers in them. 
Second observation is this, our differences, our differences can cause friction. See, when we're wired differently, we have different expectations. We see the world through a different lens. And when, we, when we're that different, it's going to create friction. In fact, I think that you could scratch out can from that statement. You might want to scratch it out and put likely. How many, how many of you, well, don't raise your hands, but how many of you are married to someone totally opposite of you? Yeah. Some of you raised your hands anyway. <laughs> a lot of us do. Opposites attract. That's not Bible. That's just something somebody said one time. And yet, those differences make our family stronger, but they do cause friction. You see, most organizations and, and uh, businesses, and they get this. They get that every, every organization has different people that play different roles. Every sports team has it. On a football team, there's offense and defense. Uh, there's linemen. There's running backs. There's defensive backs. There's linebackers. There's quarterbacks. They get their name in the paper all the time and get all that attention. But, you know, and um, on a baseball team, you have outfielders, infielders. You get it, right? And nobody on the team is going, hey, you know, I'm the right guard, but like, I want to throw the football today. They don't say that. They say, you're the guard. You protect the prima donna throwing the football. <laughs> Might know where I played. We don't struggle with diversity in, on, team, on sports teams or in organizations. We get it. In your business, you probably have salespeople. You have uh, technical support people. You have the warehouse people. It's like they're all doing their job, and it all works together. But in the church, that diversity causes friction that's different, and often churches divide over this. And I think that explains why almost every time when Paul talks about our differences, he also prefaces or follows that difference talk with the importance of unity and cooperation. I want, to, I want you to see this. I mentioned in the Ephesians 4, 7 passage that it started with but. And this is the but in Ephesians 4, 2. Before Paul talks about the different roles, he says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You get the point? There's one thing. But that one thing is accomplished by many different types of people. Paul, it's almost like he says, I'm going to tell you something about your diversity, but before I tell you, you need to know this. You have to get along. And you have to value one another. And it seems to me that he gives far more copy to encouraging, inspiring, admonishing us to get the unity part. Far above the diversity part. You see, in healthy churches, 
Pioneers and settlers work in cooperation around the mission. They work in cooperation around the mission. In 1 Corinthians 3.8, you see it here, Paul says, the person who plants and the man who waters have one purpose. Can you see Paul saying it's like he went out and he established something, but somebody else came behind and they settled it. But even though they had different roles, they had one purpose. That's a healthy organization. That's a healthy church. But in unhealthy churches, what happens is one tries to dominate the other. And there's a power struggle. When that happens, churches split. This church has had at least two of those. And I'm telling you, I was here for all of them, and it was always over this issue. Are we going to be a pioneer church or a settler church? See, a pioneer-dominated church is constantly changing and moving forward and reaching people. But if pioneers are dominating, those people that they're reaching aren't growing. There's no depth. There's no development of that Christian or of leadership in the church. And often the pioneer-dominated church moves so fast, it changes so often, that settlements behind it can't be built in time, so you create an unsustainable model. And pioneers-dominated churches die. They die quickly, just like a settler would way out in the wilderness without a fort nearby to resupply. There's no support. If you're a pioneer, you need to remember how much you depend on the fort. But in a settler-dominated church, often a settler-dominated church is, has stability. It has abundant Bible study and teaching opportunities, and it usually has solid funding. But a settler-dominated church is often unwelcoming, self-indulgent, and has little impact on the community in which it resides. And if and settler churches grow, this is I'm not talking about growth. Settler churches can grow, but they grow by transfer growth. That is people coming from other churches, which is a wonderful thing. Many of you that I've met that are new at Sunridge, you've come from other churches. I love it. I love when people come and they say, I want to I, I want to grow here. I want to cast my lot here. I want to engage with what's happening here and be a part of how God is reaching this community. That's not a bad thing, but if if all the growth is transfer, transfer growth. What, what we need to remember is, you know, Jesus didn't say go into the world and rearrange the Christians, right? He said go into the world and preach the gospel. Most established churches are settler-dominated. Now, if a pioneer-dominated church dies quickly... A settler-dominated church dies the same, but it dies slowly. Because over time, without changes, what happens is all the people that were part of the early days of the church, they keep coming, and nobody else comes. And your kids won't come. And your grandkids won't come. And the pioneers leave. 
because there's no adventure in the church anymore. If you're a settler, you need to remember that we're here to expand the kingdom of God, not live a comfy, cozy life in New England. See, when pioneers and settlers work in sync with what God is doing, people grow up fully in their faith. That's what happens. That's what Paul is saying. 1 Corinthians 3, 7. He says, So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The person who plants and the person who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to their own labor, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. And then in the Ephesians passage, he says, why are all these gifts, these gifted people given to the church? To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Till we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What Paul says is that both pioneers and settlers apostles, evangelists, pastor, teachers, and prophets, those that lay the foundation, those that build upon it, they are all part and necessary for the church to mature. You see, the thing isn't that I'm mature, so now I go around and maturing those that need maturing. And so you're not on the maturing process anymore. The, 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 the imagery here is that when pioneers and settlers work together, everybody grows. If you're a settler, you don't just grow through Bible study. You grow through being a part of helping other people grow. And they grow because of your con contribution to their life, but you grow as well from being in contact with them. You don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you folks have either led a group before, a study group, or you work in children's ministry, or you do something, and it's through that service that you feel like you've grown. God has challenged you and stretched you in ways that you could never have happened in just like in a Bible study. It takes both. And when pioneers and settlers get together, it matures the entire church. We grow together. If you want to grow roots in a vibrant and healthy church, you have to get this. Let me repeat that. If you want to grow roots in a vibrant and healthy church, you have to get this concept. Because if you don't and you're a settler, you're going you're to tilt toward a settler model all the time. And you're going to always be able to find a church that will be totally settler for you. And you will, you will find roots there, and you, but it won't be vibrant. And it won't be healthy for you because you will never be a part of the mission that God has given you. You'll never be around the people that are helping other people find Christ. You'll be in a nice, comfortable bubble. You'll know a lot of the Bible. You'll, you'll, you'll have great friendships and relationships. But you won't be a part of the mission that God has given the church to reach people for Christ. If you land in a settler-only church, if you're a settler and you just keep, I mean a pioneer, and you keep leaning toward pioneer churches, you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to be a part of 10 churches in the next 20 years. 
Because there are going to be small churches that start up and you're going to be attracted to that. And if there's only pioneers there and not settlers, it's not going to last. In a vibrant, healthy church, you have to have both. And if you want to grow deep roots in a church that's being effective, we have to embrace the idea that God has both pioneers and settlers in the church because he has pioneer work and settler work to do. Two action points and I'm done. First of all, all this adds up just to say you should identify your leaning and serve devotedly. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3.10, each one should be careful how he builds. To be careful means to give thought to. to thought to like what part you are playing and what needs to be done. And in order for you to do that, you need to know what your role is. You need to know how God has wired you. Knowing yourself, knowing your position, helps you be effective. If you're confused about what you do on a football team, the huddle gets called and it's 500 revert strong slant, strong blue sky, ready break, and you don't know what that means for you, you're not going to be helpful. You need to know what your job is. And our, our job in churches is based on how God has wired us. And, and that identification allows you to lean wholeheartedly into what God has called you to be and do, either be a pioneer or a settler. So don't try to be something that you're not. If you're a settler, don't try to be a pioneer. Be a settler. Settlers who want to be pioneers make a disaster usually of outreach. I've, had, I've, had, I've, I've been involved in outreach ministries where settlers are trying to wrestle, and it's like, this outreach needs to be deeper. We need to talk about the doctrine of the amusio with these people that are not yet Christians. <laughs> and it's like, you can't, it's like, no, no, that's not what it is. But you can support and build around it right? Instead of like trying to make everything who you are as a settler, you should be asking, where is the pioneer work getting done and how can I come around that and build a settlement that strengthens it? How can I serve the new Christians that are in this ministry? How can I serve the new people at Sunridge? How can I serve the new thing? That's what a settler can do in contributing to the pioneer work that goes on in a church. I know someone that's really good at this. My wife, Cindy. She is a settler. You know, she, she was she a was, she, Midwest girl, meat and potatoes. She's Dutch. And if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. And if you don't know anything about Dutch people, they don't change. They're like God. He changes not, neither do Dutch people. <laughs> she is a settler. She is never going to be the person that walks down the street and meets the new neighbor. That's me. She's not going to be the person that invites her six non-Christian friends to mops, young, young moms. But what she's really good at is wrapping her arms around 
those moms that have come to MOPS that don't go to church and helping them connect with God and with others. She's amazing at that. She's a settler, and she's not trying to be a pioneer. She's trying to support the pioneer work. If you're a pioneer, don't try to be a settler. Man, that's like, it's so sad when I see the church kind of like gobble somebody up who's a, a pioneer, and then they just get stuck in settler work. You'll be so unhappy. You're designed to keep us moving forward, to reach people, bring new ideas. But you need to invite some settlers to be a part of what you're doing. Because they're going to they're gonna create a sustainable thing. They're going to build something that strengthens those people that you're serving. When I say serve devotedly, what I mean is, I think what can happen between pioneers and settlers in a church is we start to tug rather than work together. So if you're a settler and you're, you're you know, don't start things in resistance to the pioneer work at a church. Like, if it needs to be done, do it in a way that it is strengthening what is happening at the church. Don't build it in resistance. That's called a silo. And I've seen that in the history of this church. And that will create a church split. I can promise you. That's where that, that ends. You see, there's a way for all of us to work together in a way that builds up the church, not divides it. But we do that through the calling and wiring that God has given us. So identify your leaning and serve devotedly. And then lastly, and band, if you'll come up right now, appreciate the team that God has assembled around you. If you're a pioneer, be a settler-loving pioneer. Because as a pioneer, you need to remember how much you depend on the fort. And if you're a settler, be a pioneer-loving settler. And look for ways for you to engage in the pioneer work that is happening in your church so that you make it better. See, we have a role to play. When I started this talk, I said that I wanted to talk straight to Sunridge about something that is constantly on my mind, and I think it's part of leading a church. From the time I've been at Sunridge, there's been like peaks and valleys of the struggle between these two kinds of people. And what I'm saying to you, Sunridge, is if you want to grow deep roots in this church, you need to be, you need to love the pioneers if you're a settler. And if you're a pioneer, you, I mean, you need to love the settlers. If you're a settler, you need to love the pioneers. That's the only way it works long term. I love this church. I don't tell you often enough. When I say, I don't just love the name of Sunridge and the building, although I kind of love it too, especially the way it's looking, but I love you guys. I don't know all of you, but like I've dedicated my life, the staff, our elders, our teams, we have dedicated ourselves to reaching this community for Christ. It will take every one of us, 
It will take every one of us as different as we are to do it. I don't want to spend the next five, ten years of my life arguing with people about whether we should be deep or relatable. We're going to be both. I don't want to fight about whether we're going to reach people for Christ or whether we're going to build them up. Yes! The answer is yes. That's what we're going to do. And you're going to be a part of it. And if you don't want to be a part of that, that's okay. That's okay. But if you want to join what's happening here, get your pioneer self and your settler self going and get engaged in what God is doing here. And let God use you in the way he's designed you to be. Don't be someone else. Be you. And let's do something for God. Let's do something that's worthwhile in this community and around the world. That's what I'm calling you to do, whether you're a pioneer or a settler. Let's pray.